The following content is provided to you as a ministry of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a high-adventure Christian wilderness camp in Andrews, North Carolina. Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters exist to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through the exposition of Scripture and personal relationships in order to equip the church to impact this generation. For more information, visit our website at swoutfitters.com or follow us on Twitter using the handle at SnowbirdSwo. Enjoy the message. Hey, everybody. Man, it's so good to see you all. Um, Hey, question. If you could go back in time and give yourself the former you, you could pick the date five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. What's some advice you would have given yourself then that would have really made a difference today? Give you a minute. Okay, eat less. (laughs) Use the credit card less. Uh... You know, whatever, however you want to contextualize this and apply it, think about it. Like, what's something you really wish somebody would have told you way back then that would have made a difference? And, and if we could go back and tell that former version of ourselves some of those things, we may be more healthy. Uh, our marriage may be in a different place. Our finances may be in a different place. Our ministry may be in a different place. Uh, if somebody had just given us some advice along the way, that we could have applied. You, have you ever find yourself in one of those situations where you walk into a, a crisis and you're like, well, that would have been nice to know before I got into this situation, right? So um, in this next few minutes together, I want to kind of help you, if I can, uh, how to navigate conflict. The, this, we're going to kind of jump into the theme of faithfulness uh, tonight and then in tomorrow. But today is really going to be really practical leadership, tactical uh, advice that I think may be really helpful. Uh, Because there are some things, even if you have been seminary trained, there's some things they don't teach you in seminary. And you get into a situation where ministry just brings stuff. You're like, but that really would have been helpful to know. So I'm going to tell you where we're going to end Okay, and then we'll back up and line yourself there. Before we leave, I'm going to give you five questions that you can use as a tactical roadmap to navigate any difficult conversation. Okay, I'm going to give you five questions that you can use over and over and over again. Let me let me rewind though. Let me let me back up and then lead us into there. Um, Rob, thank you so much for letting me come. It really means a lot. I love this place. Uh, I have brought youth groups here a long time <laughs> uh, back when it was just the metal building and uh, like some of you may have been in the world in those days where we do worship and we had to change the furniture and now set up and eat so uh, this place has been an integral part of my ministry for many many years so I love it and I love the people here and I know you do too or otherwise you wouldn't be here but I'm especially proud of you for choosing to invest some time in you uh, to come and learn and to sharpen your saw a little bit. And so I hope this time together makes you feel that way. Um, tell you a little bit about my story and kind of where some of this content I'm going to share from you comes from, um, because it's kind of a, a pool of resources. So first, I would say um, my pastor who hired me years ago to come to Calvary Baptist Church in the first place, Dr. Don Wilhite. I think I got a picture of him somewhere. Um, some of these lessons I learned from him, um, others of these lessons I learned from a book. In fact, I'll go ahead and show you a picture of the title and I encourage you to write it down. P 
pick this up. It, it's a great book um, on how to handle crucial conversations. Uh, it'd be a great book for you to pick up. And then some of the other lessons I learned, uh, there was a season of my career where God kind of moved me from kind of traditional student ministry of working with students, actually to be ahead of a private school, which was weird. I can unpack that story later for you if you want to know. Um, and so I never had to deal with conflict as much as when that season of my life. And uh, by title, it was Calvary Christian School. I just called it the School of Hard Knocks <laughs> for me as a leader. Um, and so in that, it was just an opportunity to kind of learn and grow. So that's, that's kind of when to give the background because I think it's, it's important that we give credit to where credit is due. Let me, before, to help you contextualize and, and apply this to your own life, before we get into this, let me ask you this question. What is a scenario that you've had to navigate through and have a tough conversation with somebody. Uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's been personal that you had to confront your wife or your husband on something. Maybe it was ministry-related where you had to sit with your pastor or an elder or somebody in leadership and confront them on something. Maybe it was in student ministry where you had gotten word that this student had been doing something they shouldn't do, and in that pastoral way, you had to sit down with them or with them and their parents and kind of confront them on that. Come, bring into your mind one of those scenarios that you've had to navigate, and let's just own the fact that those are some of the hardest moments in ministry. Can we, can we all agree with that? You know, you know well just the gut-wrenching feeling of vomit before you go into the conversation like I have no idea how this is going to go or if you like me I tend to have uh, I'm self-diagnosed with anticipatory anxiety meaning like I'm the worst of like role-playing a conversation before it ever happens and so like I'm going to say this and they're going to say this and then this is going to happen and oh my goodness and I've worked myself up and then I get into it and it never works out that way it's never as bad as the role I've played but no matter what situation is coming to your mind, wouldn't it be nice to walk into that conversation with maybe a little more confidence, maybe even a roadmap, perhaps even some understanding of how we got here in the first place? That's what I want to give you today. So let me first of all help you understand how these crucial conversations, conflict really even begin. Uh, here's, some, here's some things I would say, some common characteristics of this crucial conversation. Here's the first one. Uh, opinions vary. Stakes are high and emotions are high. When those three things exist, we're in a crucial conversation. Uh, the first one's simple. Like we've got a difference of opinion here. Maybe I felt you did something wrong and you didn't see anything wrong with it. Uh, maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's even a real, like we're strategizing as a team and it gets heated because I think this way is right. And you think this way is right. And perhaps neither one of them are wrong, but opinions vary. And because we care about it, uh, the emotions start to run high. Maybe the erosion, the emotions are high because I'm defensive. Maybe the emotions are high because, uh, as the student pastor, I'm really trying to protect the rest of the flock. Uh, 
but the stakes are high because the gospel may be at stake, uh, their ability to be a part of our group may be at stake, perhaps it's a family that's fracturing and this conversation could be pivotal on whether or not there's reconciliation. And so when those three things exist, we find ourselves in a crucial conversation. Now I asked you just a minute ago to think about an example of a conflict or a critical conversation that you have had. Now, what I want to invite you to do is think through that moment. Did all three of these things exist there? Yes, no, maybe? Generally, generally it's the case. Opinions vary. One's right, one's wrong. Stakes are high. And emotions are high. All right, so what do we do? Well, here's, here's the, this principle comes from the book, if you want to read it. The first challenge I've got to have when I find myself is realize there's this pool that exists. And at the moment I'm beginning this conversation, it's this empty pool. And what I want to do is fill that pool with shared meaning. What in the world does that mean? All right. Well, if we're both walking into a conversation, because we're people, we're wired, we're made in the image of God, we're both maybe connected to the same church, we're part of the same youth group, we both care about something that we share. We have, we have some level of shared value, some level of shared meaning, and hopefully through this conversation, we can work and discover something that we both want. Like we both want something good out of this. We're not even going to begin to talk through yet uh, how our opinions may vary, but we're both here today because we want the same thing. We want peace in our heart. We want, we want to experience the grace of God. We want, we want our family to be healthy. We want, uh, we want to avoid tension with each other, whatever it may be. But I got to work really hard to find some shared value or shared purpose that we can start pulling in this pool. And I think it's healthy to even define that and call that out. I mean, let's just kind of role play together. Can we do that? Let's pretend if I've got... If, if Rob and I are on the same staff here at Snowbird, and we're working together, uh, but maybe, maybe his department's over programming and my department's over rec. I don't know what it is. And we have found that we keep button heads on something. Well, when we begin this conversation, here's what Rob and I both can agree on. I mean, we want Snowbird to be the best it can be. I mean, we, we both care about this place. Can we at least start filling the pool with that mutual agreement? Yes, we both want that. Okay, because we both want that, we got to talk through some stuff. Does that make sense? So pulling that shared meaning. Here's the second thing we got to remember. We have to start with the heart. Here's a quote from Ambrose Bierce. It says this, speak when you're angry and you will make the best speech you will ever regret. I mean, let's just be honest. Remember, one of, the, one of the three ingredients of this crucial conversation is that emotions are high. And you and I both know, when emotions are high, have you ever heard those words come out of your mouth and you can see them floating in the air and you wish that you can grab them back because you realize, I've just made this so much worse than it is? And, and if even before I go into the conversation, maybe I've got this meeting set up and I've asked this mom and dad to meet me, you know, Wednesday night before church, whatever it may be. Uh, before I even get there, I've got to start with the heart. Whose heart do I have to start with? Mine. I have to start with my heart. 
Galatians 5, verse 25 through 26. What does it say? You should know it. Hopefully you can quote it, but I'll read it just in case. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit, and let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. I mean, I've got to start with a heart to make sure my heart is in a place that's going to put the gospel above all things, make sure that my attitude and my spirit is submissive to the Spirit of God. Because I've got to make sure that I'm walk. This isn't a, a competition or a debate I'm trying to win. If, if my heart is in the right place, I want more than anything for Jesus to be honored and glorified. Like, that's, that's my drive here. And that ultimately should be the pool of share meaning we're all landing in. So maybe here's some questions. Uh, we're, not, we're not to the tactical questions yet. Just when we're evaluating our heart, maybe here's some questions to ask ourselves. I'm coming into this conversation. What, are, what do I really want for me here? I mean, am I viewing this as a win-win? Uh, uh, what do I really want? I mean, if we're just being honest, sometimes, I know this doesn't sound spiritual, but it's true. Sometimes we want to walk away feeling like we're the champion. I've, I've got to reestablish my authority in this situation. That's what I've got to do. Uh, what do I really want? What do I really want for others? Or even more importantly, what do I really want for this relationship. And, and again, maybe this is a relationship between a mom and a dad. Maybe this is a relationship between a student and a student. It could be a relationship between you and your pastor. Like, what do I really want out of this relationship? And these are just some, some questions to evaluate your own heart. And, and maybe... Maybe the prayer as we walk into these conversations is, Lord, help me forgive those who sin differently than I do. I mean, if, if this is a heart check, I mean, I, I may not have this problem of having to confront the sin in your life, but I'm a broken, fallen man too. So I can share that with you, right? And so... Lord, help me not, this is the, to me, this is when I, when I read Galatians 5, verse 26, not becoming conceited. I'm not above anything. I, I am just as capable of this sin as you are. So, I, Lord, help me, help me step into this conversation with the same level of eagerness and forgiveness. And I would say when we recognize that we all have weaknesses, it's easier to find a way to respect each other always easier. Does it make sense? Okay, so to help you visualize this, let's, let's, let's walk through a path, a path to action. And I think this is, I'm going to give you a visual that for me helps me understand how we even get in some of these sticky conversations in the first place. I'm about to show you a, a graph or a picture that is repeated over and over and over again multiple times a day and it happens in a split second. Here's the progression. You need to write these down, okay? First thing that happens is you see something and or hear something. Number one, I see something or I hear something. Number two, I tell myself a story. Based upon what I've seen or heard, I tell myself a story. 
Number three, based upon this story, I begin to feel something. Quickly, an emotion starts to develop in me based upon what I've seen or heard and the story that I've told. Therefore, number three, this feeling or emotion comes, and then inevitably, after that emotion, number four is an action. Now, let's just walk through some scenarios. Okay, you've, you've seen this happen before, and this is how quick it happens. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's church on Sunday morning, and, and uh, the pastor walks in. Hey, good morning, pastor. And he just keeps on going. He doesn't even look up. He doesn't say hello. He just ignores you. Okay, I saw something. What did I see? He made no eye contact. He walked in the door, didn't even acknowledge my presence. I heard something. What did I hear? Crickets. I heard nothing. He didn't even acknowledge me. So I tell myself a story. Based upon what I just saw or heard, what's a story I could tell myself? He hates me. He's mad at me. I'm about to get fired. Like, we just fill in the blanks, right? And naturally, we always tell ourselves the worst possible story. So I, I saw this. I told myself a story. Now I begin to feel something. What are some things I could feel? Anxiety. What else? Guilt. Because maybe I know I did something. He has found out. What else? Fear. Okay, is there another emotion? Anger. What else? Bitterness. Okay, this is good. These are really good things. Now I start to act. Here's some possible ways that I can act. Or maybe these are some ways you acted the last time this happened. Uh, I go straight to my office and shut the door and don't talk to anybody. Or, or, um, later in that morning, we've gone to our respective offices and we've worked a little bit. And later in that morning, I'm walking to the coffee pot and I see him walking in the hallway and I turn and go the other way. Right? Now, I'm beginning to act in a way based upon emotions, based upon a feeling, based upon a story that I told, based upon something that I saw and heard. What if he just found out his wife has cancer? What if, what if he just got beaten up by the elders? What if, I mean, I have no idea why he walked into the door in that way, but I have internalized it. I have told myself a story, and now it's impacting my day, and it may have nothing to do with me. Or, what about this one? You're in the grocery store, right? And you didn't even see or hear something. Just somebody told you that something happened about somebody, and you see them on the end of aisle four. And you develop an emotion. Like, you weren't even part of it. You just heard about it, and you see the person, and now the feeling is like, I'm scared. I want to avoid this. And you don't even go down aisle four. And you, you needed the potato chips. Like, they'll wait. I don't, want to have to, I don't want to have any interaction with them. This is awkward. And so now we avoid things. Now, we could lay out one scenario after another. But do you see this pattern? Can you take a minute, if you would? Okay, I'm gonna, in fact, I'm going to give you 30, min, 30 seconds of awkward silence. I want you to think through an experience that you have had recently 
where you saw that play out. You saw or heard something. You told yourself a story. You developed an emotion. And then you acted. Think about it for just a second. Okay, this is, this is a teaching time. This is a pre-conference time. Anybody have the guts to share what that looked like for you? What you saw or heard? The story that you told yourself? The emotion and then the action? Anybody? Okay, go ahead. Thank you for being courageous. Great. That's a great example. And, and how quick, did, how long did it take for that to develop in your brain? Yeah. And how old is this kid? Okay. And so all of a sudden then I'm like, my world's getting wrecked because the remark of a 17 year old, like, am I in middle school again? I mean, we just kind of have these, we kind of have these things when we think about it. And it has happened so fast over and over and over again. So here's, we could, we could, if we wanted to take the time and we were willing to be transparent, we could all go around the room and tell situations where this has played out. And some of them have been, in the grand scheme of things, small. Some of them have been homewrecker heavy. Okay? But here's, here's the path we have to understand. Thank you, Adam. If I'm ever going to really have the conversation that's need to be held. I've got to go all the way back to the beginning. Tell me again, what did you hear or say? Is, maybe I have to retell the story. Because see, I, I gave you the example of the School of Hard Knocks for me, okay? And I can't, I can't tell you the number of times I was in conflict all day, every day, and most of the time it was parents. Because in a, in a private school world, you're dealing with people's two most precious commodities, their kids and their money, right? And so like now I'm entitled to come to you with anything. And I can't tell you the number of times a parent would come to me, you just need to know what happened in English class yesterday and I need to know what you're going to do about it. And I would say... Well, <clears throat> thank you for bringing that to my attention. Let's see what Matthew chapter 18 says. Oh, thank you for going to talk to that teacher about that. <laughs> because I promise you, your 17-year-old kid did not come home to you and tell you that whole story. And so now mama has, based upon what she heard, has told herself a story, developed an emotion, and now put her foot in her mouth. And then every time... Almost every time, if she would actually go back to that teacher, then she would redirect that action, and that kid would be getting in trouble. You didn't tell me the whole story. Okay, so in order, in order for us to act, at some point, I've got to go to the, to the simplest level of relationship and retell the story. Does it make sense? So now, I'm going to give you five questions. I, I would beg you, urge you, dare you, Put these in a note on your phone 
that you can recall in an instant. I can't tell you the number of times I've gone into what I knew was going to be a tough situation, and every time, and I've been using these for years, every time I'll pull this note up, read through these questions, so I've got in my brain kind of a roadmap of how I want to navigate this. Does it make sense? Keeping in mind this path, I see something, hear something, tell myself a story, emotion, and action. So here's the first question. Is it true? Is it true? Hey, listen, I, I, gotta, I heard something. This is what I heard. And I, I love you too much to act on what I heard without talking to you first. I mean, I care about you too much to do that. So I just need to know, this is what I heard. Is it true? Wow. I mean, think about the potential posture change. I'm just, I'm just asking a question, right? And granted, emotions may be high and opinions may vary and clearly the stakes may be high, but I, I, we're, the, the pull of shared meaning, I love you so much as my brother and sister in Christ. I've just got to give you the opportunity. You, you tell me the story. Is it true? Okay, well, there's a couple of responses to that, right? Yes, no, kind of, maybe. So then my second question, okay, well, tell me about it. Is it true, yes or no? Tell me about it. Because we, we all know, you know, uh, when there's smoke, there's fire. When there's part of a story, part of it might be true. I mean, so I, I want to hear. Tell me, tell me even how we got here, okay? Yes, part of that's true. Okay, well, tell me the rest of the story. It's not true at all. Okay, then tell me about how you think this even came about. And it, Again, I, because I care and because I love you, I want to know if this is true. And whether it's true or not, I'd love to hear more about it. Does it make sense? Okay. So let, let's, let's, let's role play here. Um, okay. What about I heard that one of the guys in my youth group was at a party last Friday night and he got drunk. That could happen, right? Okay. So I bring this guy in my office. Hey, man, look, I love you. I heard something. I just want to talk to you about it. Uh, I, I, it was, I was informed that you were at a party Friday night and you got drunk. Is that true? No. Okay. Well, it came to me. Somebody, tell, me tell me more about were you at the party or what, what happened that somebody could have even said that? Can you tell me more? And now I'm trying to... Again, my goal is to get all the way back to what I saw or heard because I need to make sure I'm telling myself the correct story because I ultimately want to lead to a place of God-honoring, gospel-advancing, biblical action, but i got to know that my story's right first because I may be, if this were a pizza, I may have two slices and I really need all eight or as many of them as I can get to get the picture. So... Is it true? Tell me about it. And then based upon how they're responding, here's the third question. Okay, so what are we going to do? Now, I've asked three questions. 
How much talking have I done? Little to none. I'm listening. What does God's word tell us? We should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. So I'm just asking, hey, is it true? Yes or no? Okay, tell me about it. Retell the story then so that I can get as much of it as possible. And obviously I can have, maybe when they're beginning to tell the story, I may need to probe a little bit to get as, my goal is to get as much of the story straight from the horse's mouth as possible. And then based upon the story, okay, what are we going to do? What do you think we should do about this? Uh, If my experience has been, if this is one of those situations where it is that kid who got drunk at the party and he owns it and this, I'm confronting sin, and I ask the question, what do we need to do about it? Most of the time, this person's response, they're being much harder on themselves than than I would want to be. But again, I'm giving them opportunity to own where they are. After question three, this is where the conversation turns. I've listened. Is it true? I've listened. Tell me about it so I can get the story as much as possible. I've listened. What are we going to do about it? Now this is the point I've processed. Uh, I read Galatians 5. I'm starting with the heart. Spirit, lead me here. <laughs> okay. Now I'm going to talk. This, this is kind of that, that authoritative position uh, where God has planted us. Okay, listen, I've heard the story. Thank you. I've heard what you think. Now let me tell you what I think we need to do. And this may be the point that I've got to say, you know, I've got to bring down some discipline. This may be the point that I've got to lay out a path for reconciliation. This may be the point that I've got to, you know, call the spade the spade. Whatever it may be, based upon what you've heard, based upon the full story, now let me tell you what I think we need to do. Does it make sense? Okay. Then the fourth question. What have you heard me say? Why do you think that's an important question to ask in the middle of a conflict, crucial, emotionally high meeting? What have you heard me say? Why is that an important question? Clarity, okay. What else? Absolutely. Remember, we may have gotten here by misunderstanding something that was said or heard. The last thing we want to do is leave here misunderstanding what's been said or heard. So by me simply asking this clarifying question, okay, tell me what you've heard me say. And me listening now, I'm at least, I'm immediately able to process, did you get it? I mean, are we getting anywhere here? <laughs> what, what did you hear me say? It's a point of clarification. The last question. Now, I'll be honest with you. This one feels weird, but this is truthfully probably the question I use the most. And it's this one. How do you feel about this time that we've just shared? How do you feel? Now, I I realize uh, maybe you're like me. Uh, I'm not a feely, emotional kind of guy. It's just, I don't, I don't cry a lot at movies. Although I did cry during Free Willy. I'm not understood why. 
I cried in that movie, but I did, and I'm not afraid to admit it, but um, I know, Rob, I just, but uh, let me give you an example. So uh, last year, two years ago, I'm sorry, I'm at a camp, and in this, I'm the camp director at this camp, okay? If we were comparing this camp that I was running to this, I would be the Brody of this other camp. And this pastor comes to me, not even the youth, it was the pastor, and he was hot. Not in an attractive way, in an emotionally angry way, okay? <laughs> he, was, he was livid. And he came to me because, this, look how compounded this is. He was told that somebody went to one of his other leaders and said something to her about something she was wearing or whatever. Okay, so he's taking now third-hand information, coming to me just hot, livid. So we talk, we unpack it, we work through it. I let him emotionally vomit and throw up on me. I wiped off his puke emotionally. And, and we just, we, we worked through it all, okay, we, the whole conversation. And this wasn't a thing of like, is it true? What did you hear me say? It wasn't that. But I immediately jumped to the Fifth question, and it was me in the room with this pastor who was angry and two of my staff members. And so we listened, we worked through the thing. I felt like we had resolved, and I said, okay, guys, I'm going to ask you to do something that's going to feel really, really weird, okay? But we're going to all go around the room, and I want each of you to give one feeling word about this conversation. I need to know how you feel. Just one word. Okay, they played along with me. Pastor, you go first. And this is what he said. Heard. I feel heard. For me, I'm listening going, that's a win. This convert, if nothing else, he knows he's walking out of the room that I heard what he had to say. And that was a win. I'm going around to my staff and, and my... <laughs> One of my staff members, how do you feel? Confused. Okay, that's all right. But the beauty of it for me, I'm walking out of the room knowing the pastor feels like this is resolved. My staff member doesn't quite get it. So that means I know walking out of the room where I need to work with him more on this to make sure he does understand what's confusing. You see that? Okay. Just this past week, I'm in a conversation with a staff member on my team, and we're working through an issue, and he's unloading. It was one of those conversations. This is, this is the way the conversation started. Pastor, you ever have one of those things that you just feel like you want to throw up before you say it? <laughs> yeah, and I'm bracing myself for what's about to come. And so we worked through this whole conversation. And it ended with, I said, man, I got to ask you a question. How do you feel? And this was his words. I feel affirmed. Okay, good. I'm, I'm walking now out of this conversation with my finger on the pulse of where you are. Does that make sense? Very powerful question. Because the, here's the last thing I want to happen. If, if we walk through a difficult 
conversation where opinions may vary, stakes are high, emotions are high, we've seen something, heard something, we've developed a feeling that's led to an action. The last thing I want to do is to see you in church the next Wednesday or the next Sunday and not feel comfortable around you. Like the last thing I want to do when we step into the next staff meeting for us to kind of avoid each other. And, and if, if I've asked that really powerful question that I'm at least able to walk out of the room knowing how you're feeling, that gives me a sense of what follow-up may or may not even need to be done. Does that make sense? Five powerful questions. I'll say them again. Or Adam, you're on it, bro. All right, well, I don't even have to say it. Just read them. They're there. Uh, write them down because they're extremely, extremely valuable to you. Um, do you have any questions? What if they lie and you know that they're lying about whatever the is? That's a great question. Anybody ever had this happen? You're conf- especially with kids, right? Like, I know you're not telling me the truth. Well, uh, now we kind of get into tactical questions or, or tactical moves here that I can make. Um, and it, I think it's important for me to relationally know this person, if at all possible. And so me knowing their personality or me knowing the situation may help me kind of figure out what to use in this situation. But uh, there have been some times where I've been bluntly say, okay, I hear you, but you're not telling the truth. And if this is a a disciplinary type situation, I may then come back and say, look, let's go back to the, the, the shared pool of meaning here. I love you and I want to be gracious to you, but you need to know something. I generally don't ask a question I don't already know the answer to. And I, in, in a desire to be gracious to you, it's in your best interest that you're just honest. And, and where we end up at the end of this conversation, it'll be a lot better for you if you're just straight with me. Because I know you're not telling me the truth. So, now what I've done, I've kind of, I've, I've let you know, maybe I've got this, play, this deck of cards here and I'm not letting you know that I already know what's here. And now I'm letting you know at least, see, I've got some cards in my hand here, bro. And maybe you thought you were going to get it. I already know some things. And, and, and if it's, you know, hey, I've already talked to Rob, by the way. Or I, I've already talked to Brody all the way. Or, or I've already talked to your parents already, by the way. So there's some things I'm coming into this, informa- this, this conversation that I already have information on. But because I love you and because I want to help you, it's best if I give you the opportunity to be truthful for me. So out of grace and mercy, we're going to start this conversation and I'm going to give you another try. And then if they just refuse to be honest and I know they're lying, I may just start pulling out one card at a time. What about this? You know, and then usually, especially if this is a defiant kid, once they know they're had, then they may start revealing some things a little bit more. But I would also say, just for free, if it's, uh, if it's a situation where kids are involved and it's a truly a disciplinary situation, don't be surprised when you start getting that story that it adds layers of other difficult conversations you may have to have with other people 
Because it may be that when this onion starts peeling back, there's more to the situation than you even realized. That's going to be more stuff you have to deal with. Does that answer your question? Great. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. No. So if you couldn't, would I change it at all if it's someone that's an authority over me? No. Uh, and again, let's go, go back to the, the presuppositions that there's a pool of shared meaning. Um, it's not ha- it is not easy when you have to confront sin in your boss. But there are people too. And so the, the pool of shared meaning is the same. Look, I love you. I care about you. Um, I know that we both want this church and this ministry to be successful. So I've got to ask you some questions. And I need you to understand, because of our relationship, I know you'll realize these are really hard questions for me to ask, but I've got to ask them. Um, That's hard. And I, I hope you've never have to do that. But I can tell you, it's hard to do. But I, I mean, the objective is to lead toward God-honoring, kingdom-advancing action. So I, I love that person too much just to leave it open-ended. Where do you go if you get down to number five and you're still ticked off? That's a great question. Can I put my, um, my experience bank of headmaster hat on? So I'm meeting with this uh, dad and his son. And I already knew <laughs> that this conversation was going to end and that you're not in school here anymore. And we got to the end of this conversation. This kid starts flipping over furniture, starts cussing and screaming and yelling and storms out the doorway. And I looked at dad and I said, that's your boy. You need to man up and go get him. <laughs> he starts running after him, you know. And uh, it, was, it was a very emotional experience. So these are some tactical questions to help navigate. They don't always end in, you know, fairies and butterflies and unicorns prancing around. I mean, it, it's, emotions are high, right? So uh, one, let's go back to where we started. My prayer through this is to live in step with the Spirit. God, guide me. I need I cannot navigate this without your guidance. And so the whole way, Lord, pray, pray, help me, help me, help me. Um, usually, I would found that uh, if the response is emotional, which I think is what you're asking, they're still angry, they're still hurt. In some ways, that emotion is not bad. Anger is not in and of itself a bad emotion, as long as it's expressed properly. Um, so it, it may be that I need to let that emotion just get out. Um, again, this, these are all situations. Like I may handle this differently if this is like somebody on my paid staff versus this is a kid in my youth group versus this is a, a, a husband and wife. Kind of I'm trying to help reconcile in marriage. The situations may vary. But if, if this is some, let's say if this is a staff situation, I may have kind of plan B already laid out based upon how you respond, my goal is for reconciliation here. And if we get to this and you're not even willing to go there, I may have to flip the script and go plan B here. Um, hey, listen, I, I tried. My, my goal was for us to have a different outcome here, but
but I can see that you're not even there. So let me go back and, and after question three, on second thought, let me tell you what we're about to do. Um, but that, it's going to happen sometimes. But it's going to vary by situation. But I always expect the best and plan for the worst. Any other questions? Yes, sir. So the guy that you said uh, left the meeting confused, when and how did you come back around and arrest him? Great question. Uh, in that situation, it was immediate. In that, in that particular situation, it was, thank you, pastor, have a great day. He left the room. Hey, man, can I see you for a minute? And we immediately re-engaged with that conversation. Uh, if that's not possible, it definitely needs to happen that day. Like, as soon as possible. Um, because what I don't want is to allow time for more story, more emotions to develop. And if you're confused and we still got work to do, that's okay. Let's do it. So in that situation, it was immediate. If that's not possible, just as soon as possible. In almost every situation, make sure it happens that day. Great questions. Yes, sir. What would you do if the conflict was about a non-essential protocol within the church, like changing music or, or buying new pews or even a new chair? Yeah. Again, all these are situational, okay? Um, let's go back to the three elements of a crucial conversation. And even if it's something that we would put in the bucket of non-essential church life, because at the end of the day, I don't care what color the, cho- the chairs are, right? I have an opinion, but I, I'm here to advance the gospel, and that's not my thing. But anyway, even if it's something non-essential, okay, opinions vary. Does it check that box? Okay. Um, could emotions get high? Depends on how much caffeine I've consumed or how much I slept last night. So, yeah, the emotions could get high. Are the stakes high? Maybe they are. Even in a non-essential situation, the stakes could still be high, depending on my church. Like, people leave the church over what kind of hymn we sing all the time, right? You know, the drums were too loud today. I'm leaving the church. I mean, this, so yes, the stakes are high. So uh, if those things those three things exist, I think we carry it with that weight. I think, though, at some point in church life, the way that we undercut this non-essential is by calling our attention to the mission. Like, at some point, we've got to get our eyes to our purpose, and I would always want to start with the mission. What are we here to do? And I'm always going to end with the mission. What are we still here to do? And so as long as we're elevating the gospel, we're elevating our mission, we're elevating what we have described as essential, and we're going to come in and agree that we're talking about something that matters. Yes, it matters. It matters if we're having, if we're practicing hospitality. It matters. Yes, it matters the quality of the coffee, and I will fight for that one all day. I mean, but this is not essential. So we're going to book in with the mission, but if the opinions vary, emotions and stakes are high, let's talk about it. 
And I think that's where uh, in the culture of our church, whether it exists or we have to build it, is this mentality that we are close-handed on things that are essential and open-handed on things that are not. So like it, it is not worth falling on the sword over whether or not it's a padded chair or a pew. Like it is, I'm not willing to die on that one. doesn't matter at the end of the day. And so as long as I'm willing to go into that conversation and still walk through these steps, like, hey, is it true that you really, really want this that badly? Okay, can you help me understand why? I just need, and maybe when you unpack and understand why, I can get on board with you. I think the roadmap can still be helpful. In the back, good Baptist. Yes. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Yep, absolutely. I think I think the success of question number 4 is dependent on how well I speak in the gap between 3 and 4. And here's here's a technique I try to always use in one way or another. It may be like this. Hey, um, if I could give you some advice that would really make a difference, would you want to hear it? Well, yeah, of course I would. Okay, great. Or, hey, could I have permission to tell you a couple of things that I really think make a difference in this situation? Sure. Now, in both of those examples, I have asked for an invitation and you have given me permission. Does it make sense? You have now invited me into this potentially unlocked place of your heart or mind. And I, I've told you ahead of time, before I even tell you what I'm going to say, hey, would you want to know if I could tell you a few things that could really make a difference in this situation? Of course I would. Okay, great. Here they are. So I've reestablished this pool of shared meaning that I really care about you and I want to help you grow. I want to help you develop. I want to help you become the person God's created you to be. And, and I've asked permission before I stepped on your toes. I'll even do this. I'll even do this in sermons sometimes if I'm preaching to people. If I know I'm about to say something that's going to really offend you or really step on your toes, I will even pause and sometimes even take an ingest. Permission to step on your toes for a minute? Okay, here we go. And now I'm going to drive into it. But I'm at least pausing to acknowledge, I realize that you have ownership over your feelings and you're inviting me or allowing me now to speak into that. I think if we, if we add that layer before we introduce whatever counsel, advice, solution we're going to offer, then when I go back and say, what have you heard me say? Uh, in my mind, at least, now that's less condescending. Like, I hope you're able to repeat the spirit in which I've delivered this counsel to you. So I, to me, the short answer uh, is it really in how I ask for permission to say what I feel like needs to be said between questions three and four.
Yeah. And I would have no, I don't think it's even wrong to spell it out. I mean, rather than just, okay, children, what have you heard me say? I mean, there have been times I've even said, look, I realize that sometimes we get in, we walk in or even back into conversations like this because we've misunderstood each other. And the last thing I want you to do is leave here having misunderstood what I've said. So what have you heard? You know, so I, I may even set up that question so they know the spirit in which I'm asking it. The last thing I want to do is talk down to you. The last thing I want to do is be negative or condescending. But I do want to make sure you hear my heart. So what have you heard? Those are good questions. Yes, sir. Uh, What if they don't think what they're doing is wrong? Thankfully, (laughs) I have a wonderful weapon. (laughs) His question is, well, what if they think what they're doing isn't wrong? I mean, this is my God-given job, right, to rightly divide this. And it is useful for what? Teaching, rebuking, correcting, instructing in righteousness. So, you know, again, between questions three and four, hey, I, I just need to point out some things here. And using Scripture in that situation, and that I'm elevating this worldview to you now. This is the standard that impacts your conduct. So this isn't me telling you you've done wrong. That's not my place. I'm just, I just need to help you see what God says. And what do you think we should do about that? So I... Scripture. Great question. Yes, sir. How do you approach when it's open sin and they He says, how do you how do you approach it if it's open sin? So uh, getting them to the point, if it's open sin, they know what we're talking about. Like this isn't this isn't a secret anymore. Okay? So once I get into that conversation, that's where these questions are extremely helpful. Because, hey, look, man, you and I both know why we're here. But I need you to first know I'm here because I love you. I really, really care. So kind of going back to the the example we used over here of when you're lying kind of thing. We both know now the cards are on the table. In fairness to you, I really want to understand. So is this true? And sometimes, if this is a sin issue, and I know it, that person just saying, yeah, it's true. That first statement of confession is, is the first uh, brick that's got to fall. You know, and so, hey, is this true? Can, can you just tell me about it, man? I mean... And if this is open sin, I genuinely want to know. I genuinely want to understand because I care. I, I care because I want to help you. I care because I don't want this to happen to me nor to anybody else. I really want to understand. Can you tell me about it? Man, this, that's awful. What are we going to do? I mean, we, you and I both know what God says. What are we going to do about it? And, you know, if it's, if it's an open act in sin and if I can get them to the table, and I'm truly allowing the Spirit to guide that conversation. Thankfully, Matthew 18 gives me a very good manuscript to follow. I'm coming to you. I'm going to walk through these questions. We're going to try to confront this sin. If you choose to refuse and continue to act in sin, okay, Matthew, I, church discipline, I've got I to follow this now. 
Now I'm coming back to you with somebody else. And we're going to go through all this again. So, I mean, thankfully, Scripture gives us a very clear guide on how to handle discipline. Does that answer your question? Okay, let's talk offline and see if we can help a little bit more. Getting that person to the table initially is the hardest thing to do. Any other question? All right, I hope this has been helpful to you. Um, if nothing else, maybe empowering to you with some tools that you can use when you find yourself. If you haven't find yourself in these situations, you will find yourself in these situations. And these questions can really, really be helpful. So let me pray for us. And uh, we'll just go into, I think, what is the team, team building time? Or oh, Rob's going to come up. I'm getting a non What did I just saw something or heard something from Rob that said he's going to come up here and I'm going to develop a feeling that says, okay, let's pray. <laughs> God, we love you. Thank you for this time. God, I thank you that um, we are not in this alone. Lord, as we lead and as we shepherd your people, we acknowledge that it is really, really difficult, but we're so thankful that we're not doing it by ourselves. Lord, we're following you. And we want to keep in step with you. So help us to first see that and live that every day of our life as students of your word who are humbly chasing after you with full dependency. And God, as we find ourselves in kind of the heavyweight, sin-burdening part of ministry, Lord, just give us grace. Give us mercy. Give us dependency to trust in you. And give us the words to say at the right time. In Jesus' name. Amen.